like to open with a word of prayer this morning before we get into the message. We'd like to share uh, some of God's word, and then we're going to share around the table, and we invite everybody, as Dustin said, to stay by for fellowship dinner. Uh, be an opportunity that you may be able to say your goodbyes to Brother Bob and uh, your well-wishing to him, and then also uh, for those that will stay by for the movie, we invite that, which will follow. And so we got a lot on the schedule this morning, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bless you, glorify you, exalt you in our hearts, and Lord, we want to pay tribute to you on this day. We just ask that you bless every hungry heart, those that are just studying the Bible and learning how. We just ask that you guide each and every one of us. This is our prayer today, that the Holy Spirit would, uh, would move upon your word and make it alive and real. In Jesus' name, in the name of Yeshua, amen. Amen. My mother, uh, before we get into the message, my mother sends her love. She's almost 92, has had some amputation on her feet, and we thought we were down that road again, but I thank you, and she wanted to have me to thank you for uh, your prayers. She covets your prayers for her. Uh, she loves the church, uh, can't be here as much as she'd like to, really having some problems with the, uh, I was <laughs> there at her home yesterday, and uh, just the Lord, I guess, just led me to do it because I wanted to do something for her and I said I'll just put it in a plastic bag mom so I looked through the drawers and when I looked through the drawers she and we she's been doing this but she had hid some money in a baggy box with baggies and so until that last baggie had been pulled out of there she wouldn't have she wouldn't have knew where she put the money and so I found it for her and my 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 I mean she was so excited and she said wonder how that got in there and uh so she first she told me, she said, do this with that money, do this, do that, do this. And if she counted it once before I left, she counted it about 25 times. But uh, she just doesn't remember like she used to. Hey, this is the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. I don't know how many are aware of that. Almost to the day. I think the 31st of October was the official 500th acknowledgement of the Protestant Reformation. Now, when I've been teaching through the Word and teaching a lot of things, I had come up to that point not even knowing that. And as I got into some of my information and looked and such, I found that it was the 500th year. And, of course, most of the Reformation uh, has been attributed uh, to Martin Luther. And one of the things I want to say is, of course, we're thankful for the things that came out of the prompt, uh, the uh, uh, <clears throat> Reformation. But, of course, following that, the Catholic Church wasn't satisfied with that, so they come out with a counter, what they call the counter-Reformation. We're not going to be able to touch everything this morning. just want to share some thoughts with you concerning the Reformation. We are not, and let me make this very clear, we are not anti-Catholic against the anti-Catholic people the members of the church, but it's a different story when it comes to the hierarchy and when it comes to the doctrines and the teachings that are there. They certainly are not Protestant teachings. Now, with that all said, I want to go to Mark uh, in the New Testament, uh, just one verse, Mark chapter 14. I want to look, it'll actually be Mark 13. I want to look at verse number 37. I've entitled the message, <clears throat> The Reformation, Martin Luther Plus, and it's just a continuation. Jesus said these words that are found in the 37th verse. And what I say unto you, and of course we know he was speaking to the apostles, the disciples, and uh, we know the word is real to us, so it continues with us because we believe we are his believers. And the Bible says in the 37th verse, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. That's a powerful word, watch. Uh, other places it says, watch and pray. We know the Bible uh, tells us to be on guard. It tells us to not be deceived. It tells us to stand fast. Believe not every spirit. Test the spirits. Try the spirits. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, it basically lets us know we need to know the Word, we need to speak the Word, we need to walk according to the Word. 
You see, the word is our sword, and there's only one way we can lengthen our sword, and that is to move forward. Just think about it. You have your sword in your hand. If it's not long enough to do the task, just take a step forward. And when you take a step forward, it's the only way you can lengthen your sword. Now, there is, of course, the Bible. And then we have to turn to history often as tools for learning. And uh, certainly, you know, we are against the traditions of men. The Bible taught that. And uh, we know that that had so much to do with the Reformation. Now, I want to share something with you. Have you ever seen a little book entitled Babylon Mystery Religion? Uh, I, I've said and spoke uh, in the probably the last oh, 10, 15 messages that we've preached. I've spoken so, about so many different things that uh, we have uh, dealt with. But uh, this morning, I want to share something with you because you are seeing, I don't know how many of you use uh, the Internet like uh, Google, or you use the Internet for information or to find out things, yes. And uh, uh, some of the things that you can go to. Well, this little book says something. I just want to share it with you because this is in history, and it was taken from history. But let me read this to you. It says, uh, adding to the many contradictions with which the Roman system was already plagued, there were popes like the god Janus of olden times, who began to claim they were infallible. Uh, the church takes that position that when the pope speaks ex-cathedral, when he speaks, that he is infallible. In other words, they make no mistakes, they make no error, and if you would go and just follow a little bit of Pope Francis, and you will see he makes, you know, we say, well, President Trump makes a little bit too many tweets and a little bit, uh, you know, he, he says this and that. Let him tweet. Let him tweet. We say we see the Pope out there, and the Pope is uh, doing his tweeting. Let him tweet, because especially Pope Francis, uh, which we know to be a, an avowed, uh, not only a Jesuit, but we know that he is a socialist, and uh, I'll share some things with you on that in that regard, in a sense. But I want to show you a little bit of what took place here. It says, Knowing the history of the popes, several Catholic bishops opposed making papal infallibility a dogma at the council in 1815 through 1905, uh, which you can find in the Catholic Encyclopedia. One, one statement he made, he pointed out that some of the popes had opposed other popes. And that was mentioned uh, of how Pope Stephen brought forth Pope Formosus to trial. The famous story of one pope bringing another to trial is one of sheer horror, for Pope Formosus had been dead for eight months. Listen to this. Nevertheless, the body was brought from the tomb and placed on a throne. Now, this is, this is facts. This is history. There before a group of bishops and cardinals was the former pope. He was dressed in rich apparel of the papacy, a crown upon his loose scalp, and the scepter of the holy office in his stiff fingers of his rotting hand. And as the trial got underway, the stench of his dead body filled the assembly hall. Pope Stephen stepped forward and did the questioning. Of course, no answers were given to the charges by the dead, the dead pope, so he was proved guilty as charged. And with this, the bright robes were ripped from his body, the crown from his skull, the fingers used to bestow in the pontifical blessings were hacked off, and his body was thrown into the street. Behind a cart, the body was dragged through the streets of Rome and finally cast into the Tiber River. Thus one pope condemned another pope. Then a short time later, the Catholic Encyclopedia pointed out that the second successor of, C of Stephen had the body of Formosus, which was a monk, which a monk had drawn from the river, re-entered with full horrors in St. Peter's. He furthermore annulled the decisions of the court of Stephen and declared all orders confirmed by Formosus were valid. And I could go on and read that just a little bit. But I tell you, there is so many books available. There is so much history that is available out there. Uh, if you have a problem identifying which we believe to be the great Antichrist spirit, it is the spirit there of the Rome, Roman uh, history, 
And then, of course, the Roman church history, uh, which is still, you know, transpiring down through, you know, the days that we, that we see being, being uh, fulfilled. But for the past weeks, I have talked about some things concerning these t- subjects. Antichrist, we've spoke about that. The great falling away, the man of sin, the mystery of iniquity. These were all in the New Testament there, most of them. We've talked about the mark of the beast, whether or not we'll be able to bind or sell, except we receive that mark. We've talked about the 666. Uh, we've studied and, and been reminded of the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That's the one we need to contend for. We've read about the horror of Revelation. We've read about Mystery Babylon, the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, and I've spoken about shadow governments. Does anybody in here not know what a shadow government is? A shadow government is, perhaps we would call it, something that's hid behind the smoke screen or it's hid behind the genuine. It's like the Reformation, but then you have the counter to the Reformation, and when you put enough spin on it, you can sometimes entice a lot of people that things like the Reformation didn't have, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't justifiable. And so when you begin to think about these things, you begin to understand that they are real uh, they, are, they are taking place, have taken place, so many of them, and yet there is some that is not fulfilled as of yet, but is, is in the process of being fulfilled. So with those thoughts in mind, I'm not trying to persuade anybody any particular way, just trying to point out some things that we're finding in the Bible as we continue in some of our studies. Now, I, I want to just say this morning, if you don't see the Catholic uh, church uh, in operation, uh, just think about it just for a little bit. You see them all throughout the media. There's a television show, it was, uh, it had Adam, uh, Adam, uh, didn't have Adam, it had, uh, uh, who who was it, it was, (laughs) no, but it was Alan, whatever his face was, it it had Klinger on it, what's the one that had Klinger on it? Mash! It's been out for 185 years. I mean, it's absolutely was out before television was ever, ever to the forefront. It's run longer than I love Lucy, and it has this Catholic. Uh, he is a Catholic. Um, what am I going to say? Chaplain. And uh, you know, there is your transgender presentation also in there. I mean, you got all of these kind of things. We watched that show for years. I was surprised that it is still going and doing well. But just let me say, if you do not identify the priest, sometimes, uh, it, you know, it's just because you're, you're not aware of it. But, but Catholic showmanship is something that is known by design. The priests and the popes and the, car- the cardinals and the robes that they wear and the pomp processions that they proceed in. And you could just, you don't have to do much research and you could find out some of these things. But what about the nuns in the Catholic Church? Are they identifiable? Here's the deal. We used to watch the old cowboy shows and the old shows on television at the first of the television, uh, you know, era. And if it ever showed somebody that was, had a Bible and was actually somebody that, you know, kind of preached a little bit about the Word of God or whatever, he was always an idiot, you know what I'm saying. He was always portrayed as an idiot. He was always uh, crooked. He was always these kind of things. But if it showed a priest, how did, how did you know that he was a priest versus the Bible person? Well, you noticed it because of his apparel. Amen? It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. You can read all about it. And uh, when you look at them, you see some of the things that they do. You look at the athletes. What do they do? They make a touchdown. Wow. They make a touchdown. What do they do? They celebrate with the sign of the cross. You know that that person is a Roman Catholic because of the things they do, because of the things they wear. You see the rosaries and, and counting of beads, and you see all of these kind of things. Well, these are some of the things, just a touch of some of the things that they do because they want to be known per se, where it really is kind of anti-Christian because anti-Christians, you know, it's like the Lord, he didn't take upon himself when he came to this earth some magnificent, you know, just a beauty and, and all of that kind of identity. Uh, he, w- he was not something that you would uh, follow after because of the way he walked or the way uh, that he dressed or anything like that. So that's just a little bit of thought here this morning as we get into the Bible. I want to take you to Colossians. In the New Testament, 
Paul is speaking here in Colossians. And I want to look at uh, chapter 1, verse number 9. I've entitled the message, The Reformation, Martin Luther Plus. Now, in verse number 9, it says, For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, Paul said, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his, he's talking about the Lord's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding. So you see, that that goes beyond our natural mind. And so when we realize that, as I've said before, that uh, when prophecy speaks of a woman, or when the Bible speaks of a woman in prophecy, he's talking about a church. We know that the Roman Catholic Church is a system that has existed for numerous years. It came out of Rome. It's a combination of what we would say would be Christianity, and it's a combination, which is a mixture, and that's pretty dangerous. The mixture oftentimes is more dangerous than just the real thing. It's a mixture of Christianity, a mixture of religious power and political power. So it's a a religious political system. Now, we know when the Lord came to the earth, he came to the earth, Rome. Uh, The government of Rome was in power. It was a worldwide power in those days. We know that. But after Christianity comes along, and after we run out of what the Bible had to say about it, oftentimes we have to go to history and we have to find out what proceeded, how did the church proceed after that period of time. And so sometimes it really takes spiritual understanding. Paul said, I pray you'd be filled with spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, that you might be pleasing, that you might be fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We study the Bible that we might know the will of God and we might know the knowledge that God expects of us as we walk. Drop down to verse 13. For he hath delivered us from the power of darkness. This is the Lord has delivered us from the power of darkness. He hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now that's powerful. I'm talking to those perhaps today that would all claim to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ, to have been born again, perhaps washed in the blood of Jesus, and uh, to have determined that you're going to serve the Lord and you hope with all of your heart that you have a place in God's uh, uh, new world when He ushers it in. You're, You're believing those things, and I'm just touching on a few of those things. But one of the things we have confidence in, and that is we have confidence that our sins have been dealt with through the blood of Jesus. If we do something wrong, we still go to the Lord, we pray to Him, we have a contrite heart and spirit. We say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. We do not have to go to somebody within the church system to ask them to forgive us for our sins like the Catholic Church and the confessional booth. And I said, and I touched on this, The confessional booth is one of the great tools of the Catholic Church. It's where they gain real secretive information on somebody that is asking that their sins be resolved. You have sins, you confess them before the priest. Do you think oftentimes they didn't use those confessions to find out the woman's weakness, the man's weakness, blah, 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 blah. Yes, they did. Yes, they do. And so we understand that that's one of the things that we do not like in that system and that we know we have our sins forgiven us. Uh, oftentimes, you know, just the, the unmarried priest, I mean, you know, that alone, that alone is kind of, Paul said it's best if perhaps if you're, if you're single and you're in the ministry to go ahead and remain single. But he didn't tell you that you had to be single all your whole life because there is some uh, just some teaching out there concerning Paul's own relationship. But so we understand these things. Now I want to come down to verse 18. For he, that's God, that's Jesus, is the head of the body which is what? What? The church. Who is the head of the church? Jesus, Yeshua. God himself is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, which means top rank. Top rank. The vicar of Christ is Christ. Amen. He said, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power what? 
to take it up again. Do you understand that? And so oftentimes when we talk about the Roman church and we see the, the pontiff or the pope, he's bearing about on a little pole or a little what I would call a little stick. He's bearing about Jesus on a cross as if Jesus is still on the cross. His blood is still real. He still has his blood which he has taken into the sanctuary when he cleansed the sanctuary. His blood is as powerful as it ever was. But I'm telling you something. We serve a risen Savior. He's not on a pole and he's not on a stick. He is alive and doing well. Amen. He has the preeminence because he gives the top rank to no one else. But the church believes they are the vicar of Christ. That the Pope, uh, that the the Pope is the vicar of Christ, and therefore, uh, he is the head of the church. But let me say something. They like to talk and teach that Catholic means universal, that there is a uni, you know, universal church. I don't disagree with a universal church. In fact, I don't, God didn't make a bunch of churches. He made one church. Amen? And he's the head of that church, even though there's many in the body that are members in particular. But these are just some things I'm teaching this morning concerning where we got to the point of the Reformation and where we got to the point that there was people that were, were reformers. They were trying to get the church to come back to where the church ought to be. Now, I shared more at length last week on Martin Luther, and there's some things that would absolutely would astonish you to know that Luther did, uh, as any of us have made mistakes, that Luther certainly made mistakes. But... Listen, man can be a lot of things, but he can never be the head of the church. Amen? Christ is the head over the church in every nation, every kindred, every tongue, all people. For there is but one church. Every race, every culture, the high, the low, the rich, the poor, the male, the female. I've said it before. The wannabe male and female. Did you know that's going on in our age today? Yes. They were born one way, but they want to be another way. They're not satisfied with how God made them, so they pretend that they have a right, and they do have a right. Let me say that. God honors their, their wishes and their desires, whatever they do. They want to live ungodly, God honors that. Does that mean God accepts that? No, there's a big difference uh, wh whether or not you, when I say honor, I just simply mean that God allows you to make your own decisions. He allows you to make your own choices. But oftentimes our decisions and our choices... Uh, good Lord, I tell you, my dad and my grandma, I'll go back to my grandma and my grandma and back to my other relatives, John Wayne. If I go all the way back there, John Wayne would roll over in his grave. If I knew John Wayne sitting there watching his movies and just eating popcorn and having a big time, if John Wayne said, you was a little cowboy, but now you're a little wannabe cowgirl. Do you see what I'm saying? Ah, oh, that's awful. That's awful. It's a disgrace to God Almighty. Amen? But we see these people today. We see these businesses that wanted to support them, but we see the result because people have protested against them. Christians have protested against them, and they have stood up, and they've said, I won't go to Target. I won't go to Starbucks. I won't go to these certain places, and now they have paid the price. Because why? Because the almighty dollar rules... And they are losing the almighty dollar because of protesters. Because of people that will actually stand up for what they believe and will resist the devil when the devil stares you in the face. Can I get a big amen for that? Yes, yes. So God has left the church. He's the head of the church. And He has gone away. And He has departed. And the church is here behind. But I'm telling you something, through His Word, through His power, the church is still growing. Amen? It's a slow process, but the church is growing. I want to go to Revelation chapter 17. Somebody said, Brother, you're going pretty fast. You're getting pretty hot here. Well, I am. I operate, <laughs> I operate best sometimes uh, when I get all wound up. Now, I want to look here in Revelation 17 because here it's talking about the adulterous, the adulterous woman. It's talking about Babylon. It's talking about these things. But it's pretty self-explanatory in this chapter uh, if you will just allow the Lord to lead you just a little bit. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17, there came out, of the out one of the seven angels which had the seven 
vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that setteth upon many waters. Now, in prophecy, when it's talking about the many waters, it's talking about peoples. With whom the kings of the earth have what? Committed fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit, verse 3 of Revelation 17, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman set up on a scarlet-covered beast, full of names of blaspheming, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. She was decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of, and the filthiness of her fornication. Upon her head was written a name, Mystery Babylon, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, listen to this, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Now, I am interested in that the mother of harlots, So when I talk about this woman, I'm talking about a church. I'm talking about a church with great authority and great power. And she has many daughters. Her daughters follow after her. Don't miss this point. Don't miss this point. Her daughters have committed fornication with her. Can I be a little more specific and tell you that her daughters are many of the churches today? They're following after the whore of Revelation, Mystery Babylon revealed. They follow after. How do they do that? Well, they do that through teachings. They do it through dogma. They do it through so many of these things, these rituals and rites that continue. Somebody said, Brother Lee, surely the Protestant people wouldn't be the daughters of Mystery Babylon. Well, I'm sorry, but you need to read a little more. I saw the woman... Drunk with the blood of the saints. So this woman, this harlot, this church system is filled with the blood of the saints. And we know that all throughout history. How all of this persecution. I mean, I just went, you know, not recently, but went to Fox's Book of Martyrs. By the way, you need to pick that book up if you haven't had been around for a long time. I mean, they, they concocted some of the most torturous systems to get people to denounce their faith and to uh, accept the church. I mean, they stretched them on what was called the rack. Stretched them on their feet and on their hands, laying on a bed, and pulled them so much that as they didn't confess, they pulled them a little more until they pulled their joints, their muscles and their joints plumb out of place. They tortured them. They burned them. You, just, you, you know history tells us this. Brother Lee, hasn't the church repented? Oh, my. Has she repented? She's become worse than she was before. How? How? Because what she does is more deceptive now. It's a little more mixture than it was at that time. Listen to me. If there was ever a time the church needs to rise up. I have said this. Now, some don't agree with me, and that's fine. I'm not a political person. I'm not a pro-politician. But I have said this before. I believe that the good Lord gave us the president we have now for a little breathing space. I mean, to get the world off of our back just a little bit, to get the people to come back to the senses in the United States of America, and to get people to turn right and do right with God. Now, you may not agree with everything that he's done, but what is so important is, what are we going to do with that little breathing space we got? We're going to go ahead and just let our jobs remain top priority? Are we going to let our lifestyle remain top priority? Are we going to get more involved because we have more money to go to more sports activities or pleasurable things? Or are we going to get right with God and realize He gave us a little breathing space? I mean, this president could go down by a bullet go down by something so fast, don't think there's not a shadow government that's already waiting to take over in just a case like this. Did you know that who who is in charge to come to the United States, been so appointed 
by the United Nations that if something like, you know, just continuation of events, uprisings, or whatever you might want to call it, would take place to such a degree that help was needed, the United States already has in place in every country who they will send in to bring law and order. And do you know who's been so appointed? China. China. China will come in, and China will try to bring law and order back unto our nation. Well, we don't want that. Amen? We want to take the breathing room we got, and we want to say, good Lord, thank you. I thank God for the Reformation, even though the Reformation didn't do what the Reformation should have continued on and done. I thank God for that. It's what we would call a little breathing room. It's what we would call a little hope. And so we see these things being trans, you know, transformed right before our eyes. Now, the angel in verse 7 said unto me, Why didst thou marvel? Why don't you understand? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld the beast that was, is, not, and yet is. Here is, my, the, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman setteth. And history proves exactly that that, that be the case. Number 10. Right there in Rome. And there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue for a short space. Rome will never rule again. Now, whether you want to say Rome ruled as uh, a a country, uh, the Roman Empire, or whether you say uh, Roman Catholicism that ruled back in the Dark Ages, uh, you may believe it will never happen again. It will never come again. But I I got... uh, news for you. Uh, it's going to come. It won't continue as long as it did. It'll only be a short space. But she will rule in the political systems uh, and the religious systems around the world. Verse 11, and the beast that was and is not is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings or kingdoms which have not received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, shall give their power and their strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is king of kings and lord of lords, and they that are with him are what? I've said this in the last couple of messages. They that are with him are what? They're called, and they're what? And they're chosen. Do you have any part in the calling and the choosing? No. God does the calling and the choosing. But then it says, and they are what? Faithful. Do you have any part in the faithful part? You have all the part in the faithful part. God is not faithful for you. He is faithful for what he's done for you, but he's not faithful in your faith walk. Do you understand that? you got to put your faith in him. You've got to put your relationship in Him, not in man, not in traditions, not in anything but the Word of God. It is your sword, and the way you lengthen your sword is you carry the Word of God in your life and in your heart. The devil attacks you, or somebody attacks you, or some force or power, or you say, I've been asked to bow. I've been asked to give up my teaching that I have in the good Lord, and I've been asked to accept some other uh, powers, doctrine, or whatever it might be. How do you lengthen your sword? You make a step forward. You never go backwards. If my sword is this long and I move forward, what happens? My sword gets what? Longer. It's the only way you can lengthen the Word of God is by moving forward. That's worthy of an amen. Amen. And the Bible says, The waters which thou saw, verse 15, where the horse sets, they're peoples, they're multitudes, nations, and tongues. In other words, they are the world's inhabitants. Verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. There's going to be a time that they will hate the whore, just like it was in the Reformation. And shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their minds to fulfill his will, to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Verse 18, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city 
which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, I hope I didn't lose this little piece that I wanted to share with you. I hope I still have that. Yeah, I have it right here. In fact, I just seen this recently, so, uh, you know, you could see it yourself as it came up. I want to share something with you. This was at the beginning of the Dark Ages, and I'll just read just a little bit because, like I said, we have our Bibles. Our Bibles are going to take us so far, and then after the church time had passed there, you know, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and uh, after some years, uh, it just began to compromise, it began to change, and then the Dark Ages were upon us. The darkness seemed to grow more dense. Image worship became more general. Candles were burned before images and prayers were offered to them. The most absurd of superstition customs prevailed. The minds of men were so completely controlled by superstition that reason itself seemed to have lost its way. Priests and bishops were themselves pleasure-loving, sensual, and corrupt. It could only be expected that the people who looked to them for guidance would be sunken in ignorance and vice. Another step in the papal assumption was taken when in the 11th century, Pope Gregory proclaimed the perfection of the Roman church. Among the propositions which he put forth was one dealing, one declaring that the church had never erred, nor would it ever err according to the scriptures. But the scripture proofs did not accompany the assertion. The proof, the proud pontiff also claimed the power to depose emperors and to declare that no sentence which he pronounced could be reversed by anyone, but that it was his prerogative to reverse the decisions of all others. A striking illustration, I read this before, but I want to share it a little bit this morning, and I'll briefcate. The striking illustration was of the character of this advocate of infallibility was given in his treatment of the German emperor, Henry IV. For presuming to disregard the Pope's authority, this monarch was declared to be excommunicated and dethroned. Terrified by the desertion and threats of his own princes, Henry felt the necessity of making peace with Rome. In company with his wife and a faithful servant, he crossed the Alps in midwinter that he might humble himself before the Pope. Upon reaching the castle, Gregory, uh, whether Gregory had withdrawn, he was conducted without his guards into an outer court, and there in the severe cold of winter, with uncovered head and naked feet and in a miserable dress, he awaited the Pope's permission to come into his presence. Not until he had continued three days outside making confession did the pontiff condescend to grant him pardon. Even then it was only upon condition that the emperor should await the sanction of the Pope before resuming and uh, exercising the power of royalty. For Gregory, elated with his, and Gregory, elated with his triumph, boasted that it was his duty to pull down the pride of kings. The advancing centuries witnessed a constant increase of error in the dark doctrines put forth from Rome. Even before the establishment of the papacy, the teachings of heathen philosophers had received attention and exerted an influence within the church. Many who professed, professed conversion still clung to the tenets of the pagan philosophy but urged it upon others as means of extending their influence among the heathen. Now, I want to just stop right there because I'm not going to read everything I read before, but this past week in my studies, I, I was able to see this question arise on uh, the Internet. And the question was this, should Protestants try to be more Catholic? Should Protestants try to be more Catholic? That was the article. And then one of the other articles was why the Reformation should make you more Catholic by Fred Sanders. You ought, to, you ought to look that one up. Why the Reformation should make you more Catholic. And, of course, having a knowledge of the Reformation, uh, we, would certainly, we would certainly disagree with that. Now I want to go to 2 Corinthians here in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians. I'd like you to follow with me. And I want to look at 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse number 4. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 4. And I, and I hope I'm right here on my scripture passage. 
For if he, Paul said, that cometh, preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if he preaches through another spirit, I'm briefing here a little bit, or has another gospel, Paul said, don't receive it. Then he says in verse number 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. But he said, don't marvel, for Satan is transformed into an angel of light, and the word is synonymous with truth. Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers or the ministry be transformed as the minister or ministry of righteousness. Now, write this down. You might want to look at this. This was entitled yournewswire.com. Yournewswire.com. Here's a statement from the presiding uh, Pope of Rome, Pope Francis. He states this. And this was a shocker to me. He states this. He says, there is no heaven. Just recently said this. There is no heaven. There is no hell. And then on October the 29th, a Baxter Drimley said this. That Pope Francis has, abol- has abolished the places where souls were, were supposed to go. He has, after death, he has abolished, listen to this, the Pope hath abolished hell, he hath abolished purgatory. Now, that's a big one I had a problem with because purgatory is a moneymaker. Now, it says he hath abolished hell, purgatory, and heaven. The Pope Francis right now, the current Pope, has just abolished that. Now, I've already read to you that when he speaks ex-cathedral, that means when he is speaking in his, wearing his mitre, all of his high pomp that he wears, He's outside overlooking St. Peter's Square. There's thousands and thousands that are listening to him. When he speaks ex-cathedral, then his word is infallible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Also, he said this in this article that I found. Jesus made himself the devil, the serpent himself. This is what he said. Jesus has made himself the devil, the serpent himself. He told 30,000 in Rome, a personal, direct, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is dangerous and very harmful. Can you believe this? Well, I can. I can actually believe it. Also, he calls for a one-world government to be set up with a leader by the United Nations. Now, when I think about that, I think about, well, who does he think that one world leader would be? Huh? He pretty well knows. Amen? But I got news for you. If it's even done by the, if it's done by the papacy, this guy's going to be long gone. Huh? Because most Catholics don't even like, (laughs) don't even like this guy. Now, let me take you to John chapter 9, real quick. John chapter 9. Somebody says, you know, Brother Lee, he said, what does this have to do with me? Well, I would assume that you're a, pro- you're a Protestant believer. I would assume that. I-, I know a lot of you, and I know that. I would assume that. But if you don't protest about anything, you're really not a, not a Protestant. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you go along with it, if you show no, uh, no effort whatsoever to break from it or to... Uh, teach contrary to it, you're not a reformer. You don't have that reforming spirit on the inside of you. You, you, you say, well, that's somebody else's job. It's not mine. What you're doing is you're going with it. You're taking it in the hand. It's not, you know, there's going to be those that's going to receive the mark, 666, if that is a literal mark or whatever. I believe it could be both ways, but not necessarily just one. But if you say, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't follow that because I believe that. I'm just going to take it in the hand. I'm just going to kind of go along with it. I want to buy and I want to sell. I want to do business regardless. I want to do that. God God will understand that. It's like people today saying, God understands when I don't keep all of his commandments. I mean, I don't keep the seventh-day Sabbath, and and God understands that. It's it's been changed. Well, who changed it? Do you know that? Who changed it? Uh, It wasn't because you decided to change it. 
You, you know, it happened way before you and me. I've had a lot of people say, well, just, just all God expects of you is just, just choose one day and that one day keep it holy. Well, number one, you can't keep holy something God didn't make holy. It's not holy because the pontiff ex-cathedral says it's holy. It has to be holy from the Word of God. The only thing he ever made holy, sanctified and set apart, hallowed was his name and the seventh-day Sabbath. It was the sign that God, the Creator, made the heavens and the earth in six days and rested the seventh day. Well, some will say, well, Brother Lee, uh, I go to church on the day I choose, and then I, but I rest on the Sabbath day. Well, there's such a thing as entering into God's rest, that rest it speaks about. You've got to enter into it. It don't just come to you and overwhelm you and give you spiritual blessings on that day. It don't do that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Clayton used to be my amen, Charlie. This was before I knew most of you. I knew Clayton. He was just a little boy. He carried his Bible. He sat in the back row. He amen. He understood. He got what so many did not get. He had an understanding of God's Word. Somebody says somebody that may be challenged in some ways couldn't possibly... Hey, this thing is spiritual. It's not physical. You know that, Clayton. You know God's touched your heart. God has dealt with this young man. He got a place in heaven. He's got a place... Well, I shouldn't say in heaven. The pontiff just declared there ain't no heaven. But let's assume there is. Let's assume he was wrong. Jesus said in John chapter 9 at verse 1. John 9 verse 1. He passed by. He saw a man that was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him a question. Master, who did sin because of this blindness? That's what he's saying. This man or his parents he, he was born, uh, but he's blind. So there had to be a big sin. Jesus said in verse 3, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. Now, he wasn't declaring them that they never sinned. He was just simply saying, because of this that come upon this young man, the blindness, it, it had nothing to do with, with sin. But that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, he said, while it is day. And these are the words that are just as real then and just as real now. The night cometh when no man can work. Don't you know those that were in what was called the dark ages? Don't you know they felt as if they were totally helpless? They was totally helpless. They had no word. It was taken from them. All they had was the church of Rome. All they had was the things that they declared to be right and forced upon people. Uh, All of these things. He said, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, what did he say? He said, I am the light of the world. Basically what he's saying in that is this. I do not give this light to another man only. There's no vicar of Christ or replacement in my stead. I'll just send you the Holy Ghost, and when the Holy Ghost comes, I will take up my abode on the inside of you. Do you know the Holy Ghost is Jesus Christ, Yeshua, taking up His abode on the inside of you, the believer? Amen? Amen. It's a spiritual work. It's a spiritual work, but it's just as real, just as real as this tangible world that we live in. Now, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. Matthew chapter 5. And I want to look at the words that Jesus says here in the 14th verse of Matthew 5. Now, he says, you are what? The light of the world. He says, you're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, put it on a candlestick. They put it on a candlestick and give light unto all that are in the house. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But he doesn't stop there. For some reason, he goes into verse 17 here in the Beatitudes. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. Listen to this. Or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, there's a big difference in fulfill. You remember when John the Baptist told Jesus, he said... He, he, he said, 
that he wouldn't baptize Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, he said, it fulfilleth all righteousness. He wasn't saying when you baptize me, John, that it's going to fulfill is going to mean that it's all done away with. He said it means that it'll fulfill all righteousness. It'll, it'll, it has a total different meaning there. But so many will read this, and Jesus said, Think not that I come to destroy the law, but they'll say later, He fulfilled it, therefore He what? He destroyed it. But He did not destroy it. Listen to what He says. He said, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, not one jot, one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I've seen people rejoice over that. They say, you don't have to keep the commandments. You don't have to teach the commandments. You'll just be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's read a little farther. He said, for I say unto you, verse 20, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And brother, I'm going to tell you something. They were lawyers to the T. Amen. They got every jot, every tittle in place. They were so, that's why they put this barrier around all of God's law is because they were so afraid of the law that they would break it. So they buried it up just like they did the Sabbath day. But he said, except your righteousness exceeds that kind of a righteousness, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Now we have the prophecy, I ain't going to take time to, Read all them scriptures, but we have the prophecy that says that this mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, that she would think to change times and the laws. And just one of the times that we would know for certain is when, when we go to bed at night at midnight. In fact, by the way, guys, we're going to have to set our clock what? Backwards? We set it backwards at what time? At midnight. But she thought to change the times and the laws. The time, one of the times that she changed was midnight to midnight. Because God's time is not midnight to midnight. God's time is what? When the sun goes down this evening, when he created the days of the week, the first day, the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. God's time is always at evening. So it's, that's the beginning of time. That's when the new day begins. It don't begin at midnight for convenience but nonetheless that's that's a little change right there and she would think to change the law and brother has she ever thought to change the law and not only has she thought to change it but her daughters have fought hard to support it amen amen these are biblical facts now let me just uh, share something with you here this morning concerning uh why the Protestant Protestant Reformation failed. Somebody says, did it fail? Yeah, it came short. And it's a sad thing to say, but it came short. Uh, I want to look over here what, what it has to say about it. It seems that most mainstream Christians cannot fully grasp the tremendously important role God's Sabbath has played in church history. For instance, what part did the Sabbath play in the Reformation? The Reformers paid a terrible price for the rejection of the Seventh-day Sabbath. And for their refusal to accept it as an article of revolt against the Catholic Church, they flatly rejected the Sabbath rest of the Scriptures. They claimed to follow the written word only and to refuse the traditions of the church. But Sunday is a tradition of the Roman Church that has not one text word of divine authority. Martin Luther was not the staunch advocate advocate of truth that many suppose. He's highly praised for claiming to follow the Scriptures only. He stated that he was discarding all of the traditions of the church. He and the Reformers were challenged at the termination of the Council of Trent by the Archbishop of Rego. He said all their claims of discarding tradition, this, this Archbishop said, are false as long as they retain Sunday. This rejection of the Seventh-day Sabbath was also a tradition that was instituted by the Catholic Church. This change in the day of worship is nowhere to be found in the Scriptures. Now, one point I want to back up and make, and that is this. When people give you the argument, well, it doesn't make any difference which day you choose. Isn't it amazing that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they were days. That's all they were ever called in the days of creation. The only name God put on anything was the seventh day, and he called it the Sabbath. But isn't it strange that most people said it doesn't make any difference which day of the week you choose. 
but what do they choose? Sunday. It doesn't make any difference which day you choose. That's what they say. But it, come on, get that in your mind. Isn't it, isn't it something that the day they all choose is what? The whole world is following after the beast system whether they know it or not. I mean, how difficult is that to understand? Oh, I do take that back. You do have the Islamic people take Friday. Uh, my dad used to make a statement. There were three crosses on Calvary. Jesus' cross was in the middle, who he says he's Lord of the Sabbath day. And he said, you've got the one cross on the left and you've got one cross on the right. He said, there was, there was the uh, Islamics on Friday. There was Jesus on Saturday, in which the Bible says it was, you know, he talks, talks about the Sabbath day there. It was a sin to remain upon the cross because the Sabbath was nearing in the evening there. They had to bring him down off of the cross. Uh, it, had to, it had had to happen God's way. And then they said, then you find the other cross, and the other cross was Sunday. So you have Jesus, Jesus crucified right between the two greatest powers that's ever ruled the world, is Islam and the Roman church. Now, let me just read you a little bit more here. Almost unknown to most Christian literature is the name of Andreas Rudolf Karlstadt. He was the great apostle of the Seventh-day Sabbath he was born in Bavaria in 1480, and he died in Basel, Switzerland on December the 25th, 1541. So he was at the age of 61 when he died. He was one of a very close personal friend to his co-worker, Martin Luther. But he strenuously opposed him on the Sabbath issue, Martin Luther did. Karlstadt observed the Seventh-day Sabbath, and he taught its observance. Uh, another says that Luther himself admitted that Karlstadt was his superior in learning. But the rejection of the Sabbath at the Council of Trent at once crippled the advance of the Reformation. Protestants and Protestant reformers will be held responsible on Judgment Day for their unfaithfulness at a time when the entire Roman church pivoted toward disregarding, discarding all tradition. Can you believe that? This didn't happen in one day. I mean, this, these councils and this reformation and the talks were held in different places and everything. This went on for a long period of time. I mean, different ones stood for what they believe ought to be remaining in the church. Different ones stood for what they thought had been, uh, you know, it ought to, ought to leave the church. And so you had all of this council going back and forth. But even the Roman church were pivoting on whether or not to discard the seventh-day Sabbath. But the Protestant reformers didn't push it hard enough, didn't convince it enough that the church accepted it. Shame. It's a shame. We can't call the Reformation a success if the Reformation didn't address all the issues to come up against the traditions that the church was either doing or the church was thinking about. Let us refer to Dr. Downing in his history of Romanism. The Bible and the Bible only is the religion of Protestants. It's further of no account in the estimation of a genuine Protestant how early a doctrine originated if it is not found in the Bible. Hence, if a doctrine be, pro be propounded for its acceptance, he asked, is it found in the inspired word? Was it taught by the Lord Jesus Christ? Was it taught by the apostles? It did not matter to him whether it had been discovered in some ancient visionary of the 3rd or 4th century or whether it emerged from the fertile brain of some modern visionary of the 19th. If it was not found in the sacred scriptures, it presented no valid claim to be received as an article of religious creed. Wow. I don't, I have more, but I don't see any need to go any farther I did ask you should the Protestants try to be more Catholic that was a question should we try to be more Catholic I think to myself a lot of times mm. I look at I look at Rome's daughters and I'm calling them what they are they hold to her holidays they hold to her festivals they hold to her day of worship and by the way can I say this 
You know, even if you was a Catholic, do you know they have gotten to where now that in, in a lot, so many places, they hold them, a lot of their most holy masses on Saturday and Sunday. Did you know that? They've included the Sabbath. And I could go down through so many books that I've studied and looked at in the history of the church. And for so many, a lot of people think, well, they say, you know, I go to church on Sunday. Forget the Catholic church. I go to church on Sunday because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. Well, number one, it's not scriptural. He didn't raise from the grave on the first day of the week. You need to study that. And uh, another thing, would, where, is, where did he ever say, now, wait a minute, you guys. Regardless of what I said about not one jot, not tittle, passing from the law, where did he say, uh, discard the Sabbath because I'm going to come out of the grave on the first day of the week? Number one, he knew he wasn't going to come out of the grave on the first day of the week, and he never said it. And if he did say it, uh, you know, you might give some credence to it. But he didn't say it, and he didn't do it. But people still want to claim these things. Oh, I'm, I don't go along with the Catholic Church on this issue and that issue. Well, how many did you see the churches uh, that gotten where now? And it's not because, it's not because of uh, any other issue other than the crime rate is so that blame bad that you don't want your children out on the streets so all of the Protestant churches have started having Halloween on the inside of the church. It's called now, it's called trick or trunk. Trick or trunk. You don't go to somebody's house, you get your goodies out of the trunk. It's trick or trunk. Do you understand what Halloween, what the word Halloween means? I mean, honestly, do you understand that? Do you understand that Easter is not Easter, it's Ishtar? And have you ever thought about going into history and find out where Ishtar originated from? Have you ever thought about keeping the Lord's birthday on December the 25th? Do you really know what December the 25th is? Well, I keep it, I keep it because of that. Oh, it's, it's, not, it's not this or that. I'm not here to pound on you this morning. I'm just simply saying that if we are punished, you can give gifts to your children. I'm going to use the old cliche they say about the Sabbath. You can give your gifts children any day you want to. Amen? It can be December the 25th. Hey, I had a good opportunity, and I'm going to tell you my opportunity. We stopped observing a lot of these things when I was probably maybe becoming a teenager. Uh, Mom told Dad, she said, uh, or Mom said, well, go cut a Christmas tree. We lived on the farm. December the 24th or the 5th, and I'm not exactly which sure which day it was, and Dad had already told her, he said, no, we're not going to observe we're not going to observe it this year. So we're just not going to do it. And uh, so she convinced Dad to, to go and cut a Christmas tree down there. Get, get, remember this, we're in Oklahoma, and it's cold normally on December the 24th, December the 25th. That's usually pretty, uh, pretty cold weather. And so Dad goes out to cut the tree down with the axe or the saw, and when he goes to cut it down, a cedar tree will branch out oftentimes, and it'll cool, plumb down to the ground, especially when it gets cold. It'll be heavy and go plumb down to the ground. And when Dad started to lift it up and to cut it, there lay a rattlesnake. There lay a rattlesnake. Well, somebody said, well, that don't prove anything. It did for Dad. He didn't cut the tree down. Huh? We didn't have no tree that year. Huh? We didn't have no tree that year. And so, uh, you know, different things have a way of, of reaching you. I, we had an opportunity. We were in Knox, Indiana, and that's only about 20 miles or 30 miles this side of uh, Notre Dame. There's a lot of Catholics up in that area. And we, had, we were preaching a little service up there. And so we got invited with some of the church people there, the head of the church and different ones. We got invited to go out to this Armenian's uh, house, little farm that he had for Sabbath dinner. And while we were out there, he couldn't speak real good English. But I asked him, I said, how did you come into becoming a Sabbath keeper? You, were, you lived in Armenia. And he said, yes. He said, uh, I didn't know anything about it. And his broken speech. And I said, well, could you share a little bit with us? And he said he went out to the grave to visit his wife had passed away. He had a little boy at that time, was about eight or nine years old. And believe it or not, his little boy's name was Moses. And he uh, went out there to the grave, and when he went out to the grave, he heard a voice. 
And the voice, and he said this in his broken English, he said this voice like this. It came to him, and it said, Why pick your flowers on my Sabbath day? And he said, he had never heard anything like that in his life. He didn't know nothing about no Sabbath or nothing. Well, God wasn't condemning him about that, but God spoke to his heart. He said, why pick your flowers on my Sabbath day? And he went back and he began to study. He became a Sabbath keeper. Also not that far from Notre Dame and not that far from Chicago. And he raised goats and lambs because he was an Armenian. And people from the big cities would come out there and they would buy his goats and rams for meat and all that kind of stuff and uh, whatever he had, uh, you know, out there on his farm. Sometimes people can give you honest opinions of the way things happen to them. Sometimes it's not going to be because a preacher told you uh, this is how it is or that's how it is. Sometimes it's going to be that still small voice. Sometimes it might be you're, you're, you're shaking in your bed. I remember my dad. One time had a dream, and it was a real crucial dream. And Dad was real staunch on, you know, if anybody was a staunch Sabbath keeper, it was my dad. And us children were really raised to observe the Seventh-day Sabbath from sundown to sundown. No television, no radio, all these kind of things. And, uh, but I remember my dad had a dream, and in that dream, there was milk that was coming out of his fingers and the tips of his toes, milk was dropping down. Well, his interpretation, and I've always followed that to be the right interpretation, was along with his strictness to keeping the Sabbath and God's law, was also there was a need to feed the milk. Do you know what milk is? Milk is when the Christian is still young. He doesn't know that much. She doesn't know that much about spiritual matters. She needs to be fed with the milk of the Word. That's the Bible. And then there's a time that you need to be drawn from the breast. You don't need to continue to be a baby in any of God's Word. You're drawn from the breast. You begin to get prepared for the meat. And I've always said this. We had a, my grandmother, when she moved to Tulsa, and they moved off of the farm. They moved actually to Sand Springs at a, out by Angus Valley Ranch. And they had a lady next door, and her name was, their last names was Mud, M-U-D-D, Mrs. Mud. Well, I could tell you a lot of stories about Mrs. Mudd, but I'll just tell you this one. Her mother lived with them. Elijah was her husband, and then whatever Mrs. Mudd's name was, and Mrs. Mudd's mama. And uh, Mrs. Mudd's mama didn't have any teeth. Mrs. Mudd's mama couldn't eat meat, and so she, she told my grandmother what she did. She said, well, what I do? She said, I just chew it all up for her. And he, she said, then I give it to Mama, and Mama finishes the meat off. And I thought, man, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to get my own juice out of the meat. Amen? <laughs> I want to get my own juice out of the meat. Don't you, Clayton? Sure you do. You want to eat your own meat. And so the way you eat meat is you, you just go to the Bible and you study for yourself. You see what I'm saying? Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Sometimes you got to, it says, sometimes there's going to be a little here and a little there. You know, it's not always going to read like a storybook. But if you devote yourself to the Word of God, you will know how to do His will. Can we stand together? I'm so thankful to have every one of you here this morning. I'm thankful that we have participated in worship and we've participated in the sharing of the Word. We're going to sit around the table and be blessed. But we want to give the ladies an opportunity to get everything prepared for us. We'll have a great time. Brother Bob, would you lead us in a closing prayer?